So today's program, a year in retrospect, ROI, looking at um, retail, office, and industrial. Our speakers for retail, we have Steve Frischman, who's principal of Mid-America Real Estate Corporation. Uh, and he's been with them for, uh, since 1988 and 2002 became principal of the firm. He's had a diverse career that includes leasing uh, some of suburban Chicago's largest retail centers, including the Glen Town Center, Prairie Market of Oswego, West Ridge Court, and Merville Crossings. He's represented transactions for several large uh, anchor tenants, including Kohl's, Best Buy, Value City, Lowe's, Dick's, Von Mauer, and Home Depot. He's also uh, in, uh, concentration in the restaurant industry, resulting in, in uh, a list of clients including Chili's, Macaroni Grill, On the Borda, Buca, Buca de Beppo, P.F. Chang's, Fleming Steakhouse, and Buffalo Wild Wings, to name a few. Next, we have, and representing our industrial market, as I mentioned, or I'm sorry, office market, we have Bob Chodos, who's principal with Colliers International. Bob has over 28 years of experience in commercial real estate, focusing his attention on representing only users in real estate in both metropolitan Chicago market as well as nationally. He has supervised assignments ranging from strategic real estate planning, large headquarters relocations, and build-a-suits, data technology center site selection and development, big box warehouse and manufacturing site selection, incentive, incentive procurement, and construction of large tenant relocation restructure assignments with a focus on large law firm projects, to mention a few. Bob joined Colliers in 2005 as a principal in their downtown office advisory group following a 15-year career as a principal with the John Buck Company. Prior to that, he spent nine years as principal with his own firm, RealSource Incorporated, formerly Irvine Associates. Throughout his career, he has completed assignments totaling more than 13 million square feet, valued in excess of $3 billion. In our industrial market, we have Jim Planey. He's a founding principal with Lee & Associates, a graduate of Northern Illinois University, served two years in the Army. Thank you again. Uh, began his real estate career in 73 with uh, William Critton Company, and in 2007 was a founding principal of Lee & Associates. And moderating our uh, speakers today, we have Brian Hayes, Senior Vice President of National Accounts for Becknell Development. Brian joined Becknell in, in October of 2009, and Becknell is a national industrial build-the-suit and management company with offices in Champaign and Chicago. Since its inception in 1989, Becknell has built and now owns a portfolio of 80 buildings in 30 states, totaling more than 7 million square feet. Brian is a 30-year veteran of real estate industry. His diverse background in, uh, includes ex experience in commercial real estate lending, workouts, brokerage, leasing, development, construction, and business development. Prior to joining Becknell, Brian spent 10 years with the Opus Group as Senior Director of National Accounts, participating in over 4 million square feet of transactions during his tenure. Let's bring up our crew and a big round of applause. Thank you, guys. Good afternoon. My name is Brian Hayes. I'm with Becknell Development, and I am your moderator for today's event. Uh, I find it hard to believe that we're actually looking back at 2010 at this point, uh, but time does fly. I, I actually introduced this event in my role as program chair with uh, Cornet a few years ago, back in 2007. And the, the bookend events of that year were Sam Zell's sale of equity office properties to Blackstone Group for $39 billion in February. And at the end of that year, uh, General Motors announced that they would be claiming the largest corporate loss in history, which was also $39 billion. As it turned out, those were benchmarks and, and warning signs, I think, of what was to come. 
we soon learned that uh, real estate does not always go up, and $39 billion came to seem like a rounding error after things we noticed we've, we later experienced with the catastrophes at Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, Fannie and Freddie, and everyone, everyone in this room is favorite, the taxpayer-owned AIG. Even Sam Zell wound up drinking the Kool-Aid as he later invested his good fortune from EOP in the Chicago Tribune, which wound up in bankruptcy in December of 2008 and still finds itself there. So where are we now? Well, we've gathered a great cast of uh, professionals to give us a sense of it and get some perspective, at least from the retail, office, and industrial real estate uh, worlds. Uh, our format today will have each panelist making a presentation. I will follow up with a question or two. Uh, after each panelist has presented, I will uh, turn it over to the audience for some Q&A, and it uh, should be a great program. So with the holidays upon us, I thought it made sense to lead off with the R in our program, and Steve Frischman from Mid-America will tell us what's happened in the last year and kind of where we are right now. Steve? Thanks, Brian. And uh, thank you all for having me here today. Um, well, it's uh, been an interesting uh, couple years, and uh, we'll, today we're going to discuss what's happening on both the supply-demand side as well as an overview of what's happening uh, around Chicago area. Um, starting off, uh, the supply, uh, typically throughout Chicago area, we've benefited from uh, a big boom in retail centers in the early 80s, uh, which led to, on average, about 5 million square feet of retail getting developed each year, uh, with a peak in 2000, 2007 of about 8.3 million. Uh, that all came to a screeching halt in 2008. Uh, last year's production was a little over a million, and 2010 is also uh, put up uh, uh, right around a million square feet, which is uh, used to be able to get that from two power centers uh, going up. And so essentially retail development has stopped. Uh, everyone's getting a little bit more creative, recycling boxes, and uh, doing what they can with uh, what's on the street. Obviously that's driven a lot by the retailers which are expanding, our big boxes. Uh, you can see here uh, over the past uh, five years between Walmart's uh, big push in 06, uh, Penny's big push in 07, and uh, uh, big, big slowdown on, on really everyone's part over the last two years. Uh, Walmart has made a big push as of late with their urban program, uh, as has Meyer uh, doing uh, two new more urban deals. Um, and I, I think the, the outtake from that is uh, people can no longer uh, go out to the new growth areas, wait for the residential to come. Everyone's heading inbound inside 294, uh, going where the residents already are and uh, taking advantage of immediate sales. Next we'll talk about the, uh, what's happening with the uh, retail investments. Uh, you can see uh, big growth uh, throughout years 04 through 07. Uh, with a peak in 2007 with 4,000 uh, transactions uh, occurring uh, just in retail investments on a national basis. Um, uh, and then again, uh, with uh, 2008, uh, that stepped down to about 1,500 transactions. 09, it uh, dropped down to um, 
uh, less than 1,000, and we've seen a great comeback. I guess that's the, the positive in 2010, uh, kind of getting back to basics, uh, where the A product is now moving again quite well. Uh, but unfortunately, the B and C product that's out there is, is not moving uh, really at all. And so uh, the demand is back for A product, grocery anchored, uh, and single net uh, triple leased uh, properties are still very much in demand. Um, and it's going to be a while for the B and C product to, to start moving again. Uh, not a lot of demand for it, not a lot of money for it. Uh, This page is speaking to the, to the cap rates, uh, which we uh, occurred in the early 2000s and mid-2000s, and uh, obviously peaking in 2007, where the cap rates ranged from uh, mid-fives up to sevens, depending on the product, and it really didn't matter. There was just so much crazy money uh, chasing product, uh, the product type was almost irrelevant. Uh, with the recent change as of today, uh, again, back to quality, Grocery anchored, uh, power centers are very, very uh, highly um, reviewed down to the, you know, the uh, smallest details as far as TIs, kickouts, uh, lifestyle centers, which were really the, uh, the buzzword for the past uh, four or five years. Uh, unless they're very well positioned, those have fallen on very, very hard times. And so everyone's uh, focused, again, back to basics. Uh, grocery anchored in strong neighborhood centers. Uh, speaking to uh, growth, again, growth being driven by the uh, retail tenants, and unfortunately, a lot of our the supply that we're seeing today are the boxes which were left behind by the retailers that didn't make it. Uh, currently, that's a, a list of the uh, tenants which had closures uh, through uh, 8, 9, and 10. Uh, most notably, uh, Circuit City with their bankruptcy, Linens and Things, uh, Stephen Berry's leaving behind the biggest boxes, um, and just in Chicago area alone, uh, those, uh, the list that you see here, the top uh, uh, six groups, six retailers on this list, left behind uh, over three million square feet of retail space uh, in the past two years. That's a map showing where it's clustered. Uh, the blue triangles are showing the enclosed regional malls of the Chicago area. And the good news is that in the past year, uh, by having that retail product on the market, has brought in a new group of retailers. Uh, Ross Discount is coming into Chicago. HH Gregg, which is a competitor to Best Buy, is coming into Chicago. And many of these retailers sit on the sidelines, or had been sitting on the sidelines, waiting for the rents to drop, and this uh, large amount of mid-sized boxes which are on the market has been really what's driven these new retailers into the market. Um, a lot of landlords took a lot of haircuts in order to make those deals. Uh, the good news is that um, uh, about 2.5 million square feet of that 3 million has already been uh, absorbed uh, by transactions in 2010 and transactions which are being worked on now, which will be finished next year. Um, generally speaking, um, the, uh, uh, the discounting and uh, renegotiating for by tenants 
is starting to see a slowdown. Uh, for the past 18 months, every retailer who had a lease coming up uh, would start off looking for a 50% uh, discount, and then they'd negotiate from there. Uh, that is slowing down. Uh, for the large part, the retailers who have, exp who have survived uh, should hopefully be here for the long run. Uh, you know, we'll see after uh, first quarter next year which ones uh, will actually be there. In the past, uh, of the uh, 2000, the, the retail was really uh, driven by the, the population that was on the come. Uh, I touched on that earlier, and the areas, uh, the far-reaching western suburbs, um, were really was driving a lot of this retail development. Uh, the areas along uh, Randall Road um, into the uh, uh, into Route 47, the St. Charles, the Yorkvilles, uh, Geneva's, all those areas, because there's available land, drew, drove a lot of new retail development. The only problem was uh, the, the residents weren't there to support it, and all of that uh, development has come to a screeching halt. As we mentioned earlier, the retailers that are expanding are looking inbound. Uh, with that, the, the land prices we saw in those outbound areas uh, is being discounted uh, throughout 2004. The typical three, four dollar land uh, transactions that we saw spiked up to five to seven dollars a square foot. That's all been brought, or is in the process of being brought back into alignment. Large tracks are trading more in the two to three dollar uh, per square foot range, if that. Uh, getting back to basics again, uh, the grocery anchored uh, developments are seem to be what's uh, uh, moving along uh, with almost no new development. People are looking at how to recycle the boxes, uh, be it the uh, uh, closed circuit cities, uh, linens and things, down to the uh, blockbusters and Hollywood videos. Uh, down in the urban corridor, still seeing great demand uh, throughout the Chicago neighborhoods, uh, Elston Avenue, Clybourne, Roosevelt uh, uh, continue to stay strong. We are still seeing quite a big uh, difference, about $20 per square foot swing uh, from the north side of Chicago versus the south side of Chicago as far as the rents that we're seeing. Uh, but the strong neighborhood sites is, is where we'll be seeing a lot of the new development coming up. Uh, you can see in previous years the suburban development uh, square footage far outweighed the urban and we're seeing, seeing the swing back to urban, um, where, again, vacancy rates closer to 6 or 7% versus above 10 uh, in the suburbs. Talking about the retailers that are expanding, mentioned Walmart. They've got a new urban program, uh, looking at very small stores, neighborhood stores. They are now competing with the Walgreens and CVSs of the world for urban-type stores. Uh, Target. Uh, which opened a few stores uh, with Wilson Yards uh, this past year, Hillside the year before that, scheduled to go in the West Loop in 2012. Uh, the home improvement segment has been the quietest of the bunch. Uh, Lowe's, Home Depot have been completely on the sidelines. Costco uh, adding uh, about one store per year. On the grocery front, uh, Roundy's uh, opened their first store in Chicago area this, this past year. Uh, and looking for quite a bit more. Uh, again, the problem is finding the developments to house them. 
uh, Jewel focusing on redevelopment. Uh, Dominic's has been more so on the sidelines. All these really benefit from this down economy and, and people watching their dollars much more closely. Uh, and then the local uh, uh, grocery and uh, independents have been uh, had the benefactor of these vacant boxes. Again, down in the urban corridor, we've got you know Michigan Avenue, Oak Street, Rush Street. That's uh, been the one area that's really been insulated from the downturn, where there's still more demand, uh, uh, or uh, still more demand than product out there. So uh, these uh, rents speak for themselves. Uh, suburban, again, uh, neighborhood centers, power centers, we're not going to be, be seeing many of those for the foreseeable future. Uh, the boxes aren't there for the demand, and, there, and there's uh, uh, very little funding out there to, to, uh, uh, to supply it. Uh, any uh, the cash requirements that are involved for any new development are very restrictive, and development, uh, the development game going forward is going to be a very, very different game. Uh, it's going to be heavily, heavily pre-leased in order to get it financed. That's, uh, that's pretty much it. Steve, uh, quick question for you. Sure. We've got the holiday season approaching here, or maybe we're in it already. Uh, how are retailers anticipating this year to be? And I'll also throw in a side note. I read recently that they've stocked up uh, most of the inventory that they expect to have at this point they have. and. Really, the message to shoppers is to get out early. Is that uh, the way you're seeing it? That's that's very true. If it's uh, again, the uh, retailers that have survived have gotten very smart about their distribution, their stocking, and uh, uh, they've stocked very very thin uh, for the holiday season. And uh, uh, I guess advice would be if if you you want it, you see it, you like it, buy it because the, sh the shelves are not going to be stocked three, four uh, deep as they had in previous years. Everyone's running very thin on inventories. I think that was worth the price of admission right there. Get out and shop. <laughs> All right. Um, one other quick question. A couple last past couple, two years, 08, 09, there's been a lot of concern that uh, any retailers who didn't really have a strong Christmas season were probably going to have to shut their doors. Is that still the case? Are there anybody who's really in critical condition, or what's your sense of that at this point? I don't think there's really anyone who's, who's uh, really in dire straits, real uh, critical position. Um, uh, again, if they've, if they've made it, I do believe we've been through the worst of the storm. And if they've made it this far, uh, chances are they should be uh, here for the long term. Great. Thanks, Steve. Our next speaker is Bob Chodos. Bob will bring us up to speed on what's going on in the office market. And I think uh, he might have some surprising commentary for us. Thanks. Um, just to raise a hand, a show of hands, how many people in this room are kind of glad to see 2010 coming to a close? <laughs> 2009 was kind of the same message. I, I think the, uh, you'll see at the end of uh, my discussion today that I'm kind of a little bit guardedly optimistic about what 11 brings and 12 and beyond. But uh, I'm going to take a little bit more of a macro view of, uh, of the topic of office to talk a little bit about our current market, some historical trends and current trends that we're seeing the drivers that are really behind what's happening in our market and provide you with a, a forecast of what we think at Collier's is the, uh, the, the coming year uh, in terms of uh, coming years, I should say, in terms of activity and absorption, and then draw some conclusions. 
Um, just on a sort of a contextual basis uh, to give everyone a feel for our market, again, Chicago as a region is a, about a 236.4 million square foot market of which 131.6 million is downtown, 104 million is in the suburb. We're at about a 17% vacancy in downtown Chicago across all asset classes, 24% in the suburbs, which, which is really quite a challenging number. And since 2008 in both sectors, we've really seen a fairly substantial statistical increase in vacancy, 4% and 4.8%, 4.9% uh, uh, and 4% respectively. And I think one of the key telling uh, results of this year so far is we're negative absorption again in Chicago in 2010 roughly 88,000 square feet year to date across all segments, and roughly you know, 530,000 square feet in the suburbs. So uh, the, the, the bad news is that we continue to suffer from uh, a declining uh, net absorption marketplace, and that's been the case ever since the uh, credit crisis kind of unfolded. There's no new supply coming on as we speak in the downtown market. There's about 110,000 square feet of new office being built in the suburbs. So there is a little bit of a, a silver lining in this message in that we, we were able to put the brakes on pretty quickly to, on this go around. Um, you know, is it really as bad as it all sounds? And so if you take a look contextually at 2001 to 2007, 8, 9, 10, where we are today, we've been through another major market cycle. And, and we've been through, we go through market cycles every seven to 10 years, it appears. These last two, I think were, were particularly challenging. Uh, this, you know, if you look at today compared to the 2001-2002 uh, cycle, just in terms of some key statistics, sublease vacancy in 2001 and 2 was 4.9 million square feet, while we have 3.1 million square feet today. Uh, we have negative absorption. We had negative absorption in, in that cycle of 2.8 million square feet. We're actually 1.9 million today, so a little bit better. But again, those are, are fairly significant markets. Um, uh, numbers for a major urban center like Chicago. Um, and then the new, new building developments, we actually added more square footage in, the, in this cycle during the, the 09 rollout and 010 rollout of, of the buildings that were incepted in 2005 when demand you know, really was running about at, at its strongest it's been in probably three cycles. So you know, sort of the key takeaway here is that we are at today on an overall market basis uh, close to our historic highs in terms of overall vacancy. Uh, and I, I, but I would suggest that within our marketplace, there are pockets of you know, space, in, particularly in the class A or super A class of office building, both downtown and, and to some degree suburban, where vacancies are actually quite low. And I'm gonna talk a little bit about that as we go forward. Uh, just to give you another little snapshot of a, a couple of trends we track, we look at uh, overall vacancy and we look at rate growth or decline and it's interesting to note since the fourth quarter of 08, we've seen you know, gross rents decline on an average about $3 a square foot across all asset classes to $29 a square foot, while vacancy has risen from 12.1% to, yeah, as we said today, 17.1%. Uh, it has historically been at 13 or 14% in our market vacancy concept that we see the transition from a landlord to tenant favorable market in either direction. And so, uh, as you can see, Chicago kind of trades in a relatively narrow bandwidth when we talk about vacancy as the driver in the marketplace, anywhere from as low to 10 or 9.5%, I think I've seen over the course of my career, to as high as, as 20% in some instances. So it's not that, it's not as wide as it is, I should say, in, in certain other marketplaces. 
Um, just to give you an idea of the, uh, the, the number of transactions or the size of transactions that have been done to date in the city, you can see that there are, and I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm going to focus more in the downtown marketplace uh, in order to sort of move along here today, and that is the area that uh, my team is most, uh, most active in. Uh, you can see that we've had a fairly robust year in terms of activity. And this coming on the heels of 09, which was a, a, a very shallow year, I think, in, in terms of just overall activity. Some very major transactions, UBS, United Airlines expansion from their original deal they did in 09 for uh, the move to the Willis Tower. And then, of, of course, we had Nuveen, and, and uh, we've had another, other major uh, assignments that have gone down in the marketplace. So overall, I think you can see that it's, it's been pretty robust, but it's telling to take a look at the far right column. Most things are renewals or expansions or lease restructures. There have been you know, a, a very limited number of new moves, and I think a lot of that has been driven by the cost to deliver new space, the cost to furnish and equip it, uh, the technology infrastructure costs. We're seeing a lot of tenants who have, have really gone early to their landlords and, and attempted to restructure their leases. Um, I think this is probably one of the key uh, messages in my discussion today, and that is the demand side of the marketplace. We have um, in Chicago today, you know, just south of 7 million square feet of documented activity of, of tenants in the 40,000 square foot plus range up to, you know, three, 400,000 square feet that are active in the market in these windows, as you see, from 2013, uh, 2011 to 2015 and kind of these, uh, in the green box here, and kind of these chunks of, uh, of lease expiries. And we have today available blocks of space in you know, the, the large size uh, category of about 4 million square feet. And then putting that in the context of a 131 million square foot downtown market, that's not a lot of, of, of available supply. To give you some numbers around that, there are 20 spaces in downtown Chicago of 100,000 square feet or greater eight of which are, when we target the West Loop, are in the West Loop, and within that, only four are in what we would term, you know, high-rise, class A, view space. And so, while our statistics would say a 17% vacancy or 17.8% vacancy should say that this is a very landlord-favorable marketplace, the fact uh, is that if you're a tenant and you're looking for good quality, high-view space, your selections are, are relatively uh, limited. Uh, you can see that just in terms of the major activity of tenants that are in the market today, we have some very large projects out in the market today. C Citadel for 350,000 square feet, William Blair, Fifth Third Bank, and, and on through this list. And so um, the, I think the takeaway on this is, the, and the good news for us as, a, as a, uh, an economy, as a marketplace, is that there's a very strong demand in the market for space, even though we've been harvesting tenant leases for three to four years in advance of their expiries for the past you know, decade, uh, we still remain a very vibrant marketplace. And I think a lot of that is actually attributed to our location in the central U.S., the fact that we have a tremendous labor pool. I think the fact that our um, current government has invested heavily in our city to make it a 24-hour city, and we've seen a lot of net migration back into uh, the core of our market, the city of our market. And I think one of the greatest strengths in Chicago is our workforce. Uh, we have one of the best educated workforces in any major urban market, and the number of universities that surround downtown Chicago and are in our uh, surrounding suburbs are very substantial, and they're very big name universities. So I think that's sort of the positive message that we're seeing today in the market, and it's where we're going to have to pin our hopes on for the future 
uh, of our market. Uh, just, this gives you a snapshot of uh, what we call a skyline report, where these large blocks of space are. In the West Loop, you can see that you know, one major block of space is in 500 West Monroe, but when you really sort of dive into th these buildings, there really aren't a lot of, you know, of high quality, certainly not in the last generation of buildings built spaces available for tenants that are looking for a large block of space of 100,000 square feet or greater. Uh, there's, there's a much better story to tell in the East Loop, but we have, uh, we have seen over the last several cycles that the dominant growth area of our market has been Central, West Loop, and then actually building west uh, from the river around the trains. And some, you know, obviously some fairly strong development in the north, the, the near north loop with the uh, development of 300 North LaSalle and uh, 353 uh, North Clark as, as two examples. But as you can see, uh, for, a, for a 131 million square foot downtown marketplace, there really are not a lot of, uh, a, a lot of options if you're a big user. So what does that tell us? That tells us that um, barring the, the capital constraints that uh, the development community in our market are faced with, that it's likely that new buildings will be launched. And the, you know, the current supply of proposed buildings on the market, these are just four that we've picked that seem to be the most logical or, or likely, which is uh, 222 Randolph, which is the proposed buck development at uh, Franklin and Randolph. Uh, then you have the Alters proposed site that they just announced yesterday, I think it was, or the day before, at uh, 625 West Adams. There's a whole lot of discussion going on about 301 South Wacker, which is a, a venture between Jerry Castellney and Trammell Crow, and, and we've heard rumor that that may be the target site where Citadel might be looking to go. Um, and then we've heard, you know, obviously Fifield and his, his group at uh, 601 West Monroe. And there's, there's talk about uh, the Shangri-La Hotel site, um, there's a lot of, lot of dialogue going on right now about new developments being launched. Uh, the key will be, can they be financed? And, then, and can they be financed in a way in which tenants are prepared to pay the rents that that's going to entail? You know, with, uh, you know that will actually, you know, when I, uh, before I get into this forecast slide, uh, if we look at the kind of rents that we've seen historically in our Class A and Super A buildings that have been launched in the last cycle, they were all in the, in the mid-20s to high-20s net, and some broached the, the $30, $32 barrier. I don't think you can actually launch a new downtown high-rise for less than $35 to $37 a square foot net for the lower mid-rise of the building, and the high-rise building could, could be over $40 a square foot net. When you combine that with our taxes, which is a, a big challenge in our marketplace there um, in the new buildings, taxes have been uh, approaching $14, $14.5 a square foot where they've historically been in the seven to eight dollars a square foot range. We're starting to see rents in our market that are approaching New York, San Francisco, and other um, you know, bigger markets where historically we've been a value play in Chicago. So that's going to be one of the challenge we, challenges we face as a market. Um, the, uh, one of the things I just wanted to talk about here is that we, we, we try to project where the market's heading um, if we have a sort of a pessimistic and anticipated or an optimistic case in, the, in terms of um, absorption. And so what we suggest here is that if in the anticipated case, we sort of get through this year on a negative basis, next year we go slightly positive to 250,000 feet, and then in 2012, let's say 750,000 feet, and then start to stabilize out at a million, million and a half square feet, which is our anticipated kind of activity that we see in this market. We will trend down into the 13% range in overall vacancy. And if you take that into the subset of the A-class market, that could be 
well into the single-digit marketplace. And so um, you can see that there, all the drivers say that new buildings will be launched. If you make an optimistic case and say that absorption goes to 750,000 feet next year positive, which is a big jump, and then goes to a million, two, two million, two and a half million, and so forth, which are sort of the historic high net absorption numbers our market ever sees, uh, that vacancy will plummet very radically. And this is where we were in 06 and 07, right before the financial crisis kind of hit. Our market was trending to one of the tightest conditions it's had in uh, any years that I've seen it in 30 years here in, in Chicago. And of course, if the markets you know, bottom out and we actually have a, a flattening or a reversal of absorption, uh, we're still going to stay in the 16 or 17 percent range, which again, it, in comparison to other more challenged markets like, let's say, Atlanta, where they've seen, you know, 30 percent vacancies, we're still in pretty good shape. So I think the overall uh, conclusion that our team has drawn is that the that the market has bottomed out, that we are going to see positive absorption going forward, and that if we continue in sort of the economy being as robust as it's starting to feel um, nationally and in our central region, that uh, I think the picture in Chicago should be one of, of, of a stable office environment which will be healthy for new development and there hopefully will be you know, larger blocks of space available in new buildings for tenants who, who need those. So in the conclusion, you know, we, uh, we've sort of, the, you know, the U.S. and Chicago has weathered two really major slumps and it's in a, in a test to the resiliency of our market. Uh, our downtown market has fared better than our suburban market, which is historically the way things go, unfortunately, in our market. Uh, vacancy in both markets stand at sort of all-time highs, but we do see them recovering in the next four to six quarters in downtown Chicago to a more, a more static or more standard level. Uh, that's going to be a little slower in the suburban market because of the nature of the volume of, it, of, uh, of availability that exists today. Uh, we do have great demand in the marketplace and that therefore new buildings will be launched. Uh, those buildings will take 36 to 48 months to hit the marketplace if they started today. And uh, as is evidenced by the announcements in the paper, there are a number of teams that are in fact starting today. So I think it's likely that, that we will see 2014 or 2015 a new building on the horizon, and maybe two. Um, God forbid if it's three, we'll, we'll, we'll go back up to a more unbalanced market. So between now and 15, though, we're going to see kind of an interesting dynamic. Vacancies, vacancies could, could tend down to close to single digits again, which is uh, a surprising conclusion in the world that we've all dealt with for the last several years. We see rents stabilizing, and in fact, they could start to rise. And if a new building does come online, uh, they tend to, you know, rising waters tend to lift all boats, and we saw it in the last cycle when the new buildings came out, we started to see rate growth from all the, the, the existing A and B and B, B plus buildings in the marketplace. We're going to anticipate that concessions are going to start to tighten. They're at their all-time high now. I think on average you see 60 or $70 square foot work letters, 12 months of abatement on deals, and you see a lot of other uh, flexibility inducements that landlords are giving. Are giving. And uh, so the availability of large blocks of space are uh, potentially few and far between. So anticipated rents, again, we talked about in the new buildings are going to be prob probably market leading and thus lift the rest of the market. The challenge we face with real estate taxes in our market is a big one, um, and it's not getting better, unfortunately. And with the financial condition of the state of Illinois and the city and the county, I, I think we're going to see uh, not a lot of good news in that area which is a, uh, a driver against competitiveness in our market. Uh, that's the bad news. 
the good news is our market has become such a strong place to live, such a good place to do business, that we hope we can offset that. But I do think, ultimately, and I think we're going to talk about this as a group, that, that the, the time of kicking the can down the road of what to do with Illinois' financial woes are upon us now. I don't think it's next generation. I think our generation is going to have to deal with that question. And that will, um, overall, uh, really drive what's, uh, what's going to be the competitive nature of our market uh, going forward. That's my uh, presentation. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Um, I, I, I had to admit being kind of stunned to hear that there's actually development talk at, at uh, this point in time. Uh, if you were making a bet, who would you think would be the first to get out of the ground? Well, I'm, you know, uh, this Trammell, you know, Crow-Castellany thing seems to be gaining a lot of momentum, we've heard. Um, I would, uh, but I wouldn't put uh, a bet against uh, the Buck Company to get uh, the Franklin Street site going. It, it really depends on a couple of the key leases that are out there in the marketplace. And it has to be a developer who can finance a deal. And that's, uh, you know, there, that takes a, um, that's a real track record issue in this market. And they have to have their own equity to deal with. And I, I think that uh, if you look at what's happened with 300 North LaSalle as compared to what happened at, uh, at 350, or what's happening at 353 Clark, the capital structure of, of these high-rise buildings drives their success, and there's not a lot of margin for error. If, you, if your cap rates uh, jump up, you know, 25, 50 basis points in some of these deals, if, if the capital stack is not favorably put together, in other words, there's not a lot of equity in the deal, then, then bad things happen. So uh, I think that's, it's going to be uh, players who are capable of actually delivering buildings, Heinz or Buck or, you know, I, you know, I, don't, I think the, the, the day is out still on 301. And, of course, you have Fifield who's always been able to, get things launched in markets when you always are saying, how does he get that stuff done? So we'll see. Great. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks. very much. Uh, next up to talk about uh, the industrial market is Jim Planey. And um, I think Jim will, you're, you're ready to go here. Okay. Okay. Uh, thank you, Brian. Um, just a bit about putting, I was in the Army on my resume. I, I, I had to do a quick resume last night, and I put down, you don't care that I went to high school in Waukegan Township High School, so I started with NIU, and that was the end of 68, and then I put down Bill Critt in the beginning of 73, and I go, geez, it looks like I did nothing for five years after I graduated. So I thought, well, I was in the Army for two years, so I put it in there. So I, first time I've used that in a resume, but thank you for your acknowledgement. I got drafted. It wasn't my idea to be in the Army for two years. <laughs> Trust me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the slides I've got today are a combination of, uh, from my office, Lean Associates. Uh, borrowed one or two from uh, George Kuchar at Collier's and uh, from Doug Kiersey at Prologis. I'm an industrial broker, so I'll just kind of pick and choose and pick, put together and, and get it done. But I did leave everybody's logo on their slides. I did not, did not take them off. Let me give you a perspective on the size of our market here in Chicago. We're pretty much in sync with that of uh, California's Inland Empire. The Inland Empire has 1,470,000 square feet of industrial space, where Chicago, we estimate, is a 1,291,000 square feet. So we and the Inland Empire, which is up in Ontario, <coughs> excuse me, uh, are certainly uh, to be reckoned with in the industrial market on a national basis. Uh, following us would be, uh, I think, Dallas with uh, 745 million and New Jersey with 735 million. So after you do Chicago and Inland Empire, it trails off rather uh, significantly. Um, 
we've got the 2010 slide up there. Uh, our current vacancy right now for the metro area is 12.9%. We feel that will come down, <coughs> excuse me, I knew I should bring this water up here for some reason. We think that'll probably come down to about 12.5%, uh, uh, which will be um, equal to the 2009 figure. Um, we had year-to-date negative absorption of um, 3,850,000 square feet. So we actually ended, we're going to end up this year with more available space uh, than, than we started out with. Um, there we go. Uh, 2009, we ended up at 12.5%, uh, as I mentioned, and there was a negative absorption of 15,301,000 square feet. And you might say, how can you come up with that much negative absorption? We were bringing online a lot of speculative construction from 2007 and 2008. Uh, the money was loose back then. Everybody wanted uh, core property uh, in the Chicago market. And when you give a developer money, he'll usually develop if he uh, doesn't have recourse on it. So uh, a lot of uh, speculative construction was built in 2007, uh, 2008. So it ended up with more space being available than when we started with. Uh, I thought I'd show you this Pelagia slide here, just on a, a national basis. Um, they covered 31 major markets in this slide, uh, and they're at 9.8%. Um, um, uh, at 2010 and 10.5 uh, after uh, 2009. Um, and um, again, you might say, you know, why is the national lower than us? We had much more speculative construction as did the Inland, in, inland Empire. Uh, you don't see the speculative construction in the uh, outer tier markets, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Cincinnati and that, so their vacancy tended not to be um, uh, quite that high. My partner and I, Jeff Janda, Jeff Janda and I do a, a quarterly big box report, and it focuses on big distribution facilities, 200,000 square feet and above, 24 foot clear and above, minimal office, and we focus in there on one little line of each building on how long they've been vacant. Uh, so there's, this report does not cover the older manufacturing uh, facilities. And if you look at our fourth quarter big box report, it covers 89 properties that have been on the market 17 months. Uh, 2009 was 98 properties uh, uh, on 14 months. And I can assure you that none of those owners, when they put those buildings together or bought them as a leased property, had put 17 months vacancy in their pro formas. So it's a downturn in the market, uh, a large amount of speculative building being built has really put an unusual amount of time, a carry time in these buildings being vacant. In the past, as a broker, I would say to an owner, give me your listing, uh, I can lease it in six to 12 months. It was always kind of a vague figure because you could really never say for sure what it was. But I can't sit in front of an owner today and say that same thing. I'll actually ask for a year agency, they laugh at me, they give me six months and say, if you do a good job, I'll extend it. But that 17 months vacancy for an average, it really tells a story that we got a, a, a more supply than, than what we need right now. Um, got this one from George Coutro, and I thought it was interesting to see the construction delivery, deliveries in this, side, uh, in this slide. In 2007, uh, builder suits were 5.32 million, and spec construction was 16.54. 2008, builder suits were 5.69, and spec 13,000,000.41. You know, 
why were they that much of a speculative building built in 2008? We have a shorter life in our construction than Bob just mentioned, 48 months on office building, but it gets to be like a super tanker. You just can't stop construction once you start it. So we had more uh, in that year than we needed. 2009 started uh, responding to the market. Builder suits had dropped to 4.85 million and spec was 1.95 million. Uh, we estimate uh, uh, 2010 uh, builder suits will be 2.67 million, cranking down again. Uh, I adjusted it up a little bit from George's figure because we just did a 200, uh, 336,000 square foot addition in Rochelle on the Prologis Park uh, for Bay Valley Foods and Nippon Shiro just broke ground for 400,000 square feet of manufacturing. So I tweaked that up a little bit. Um, FCL is building the Bay Valley building and Kojima is doing the, uh, the Nippon building. Um, uh, you know, w without new construction, land development will continue to be at a standstill. Uh, I would just say regarding vacant land, uh, Steve, you mentioned a bit on, on, on retail. We have more than we need in the market right now. Uh, and we're going to have more land that's either fully developed, industrial, or partially developed than we're going to need for several years. Now is not the time to do holding land. It's unfortunate for the REITs that have land in their portfolio, Wall Street seems to just beat them down on, on the value of what that land is. Because the appraiser will say, what can you get for that land in 12 to 24 months? And with the slow market, you look at that absorption, it's pretty hard to put a good value in vacant land. So vacant land is taking the beating right now. Uh, it's called cash call if you have a private investment and you uh, bought some land a few years ago. Our next slide. Um, uh, newly started bulk warehouses. Uh, this prologue slide shows uh, construction deliveries on a national level. It's, qu it's quite dramatic uh, in that nationally in 2010 they project 18 million square feet will be, uh, will be started. And, um, oh, I got my second page here, excuse me. And I pulled out one figure from 2007 in Chicago alone, if you look at that, we started 21 million point eight four square feet. I mean, it's just a massive spread from, from, from what it was in the past. Uh, that pretty much sums it up. Um, that's kind of a shorter uh, version of what's going on in the industrial side because it's not quite as complicated as uh, you two gentlemen here. And I uh, borrowed this last slide from Doug Kirstein. I really think it says a lot. It's not the strongest of the species that survives, uh, nor the most intelligent, but the one that is the most adaptable to change. And I think there's probably some missing faces in this audience that didn't adapt the last two years and congratulations for all, all, all being here after the last two tough years. Yeah, that's about it for me. Great. Thanks, Jim. We're going to leave that slide up as we... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that up as we extend the conversation. I think it's something to, uh, to dwell on. Uh, Jim, it's interesting. The, it's, as much as construction and development has contracted and, 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 and demand for space, I'm hearing in some markets that uh, cap rates are actually falling, uh, that there's a lot of money chasing deals in certain places. Can you comment on that? For core value properties, there's money chasing deals right now. Uh, two large institutional uh, uh, investors uh, this last quarter, uh, one sold a uh, $500 million portfolio uh, in the southwest of the United States. They told me not to tell you who they are. I don't know how you can keep that secret, a $500 million portfolio. But that traded at a 7.2 cap. That's a very large portfolio, of course. Um, our investment guys are saying that you're about to break under a, a 7 cap again, but it's all core property. Prime property, good credit tenant, 
uh, probably with leases more than five years, but I, I, I can't quite comment on that. So we're seeing a turnaround on investment because there's so much money out there chasing core properties. The grade B properties uh, are, are just lying still in the water as an investment goes. Uh, they've got to get much lower in, in cost per square foot and much higher in return uh, to have more people come in and, and grab those. Great. Thanks, Jim. Right. Uh, we're going to open up to questions here in a second. I've got a couple of questions, and Beth or whoever is going to circulate a microphone, I'm sure. Um, my first question for everyone to comment on, and, and Bob touched on it in his presentation, uh, certainly the fiscal condition situation uh, Nationally, I think we all know about it, but Illinois and Chicago are in pretty desperate straits. Uh, the question is, is that going to be a factor in decision making uh, for corporate users, for developers uh, across the board? And maybe, Bob, you want to start us on that since uh, you raised the issue? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's, uh, it's inevitable that any company that's considering investing you know, substantial capital in physical plant and the more important part, hiring people to, to do the business that they want to do is going to look at the state the, the, the state that they're going to, the, the community that they're going to house those people in. It's a double-edged sword in, in our marketplace. We have a great quality of life that's uh, centrally located. We have, as we talked earlier, uh, it's the logistics center of uh, the U.S. Uh, so from a manufacturing and, and distribution perspective, which has a tremendous ripple effect into our, our office sector because that's where all the support industries are, uh, that's the good news, but the bad news is, you know, the, if you look at the report that's been issued by the CDC, um, the studies that have been done, uh, the state of Illinois is at $160 billion in unfunded pension liability, or $9 billion a year negative. And people think that this is going to be something that comes down the road. It's, it's six, seven, eight years, potentially, that we'll be unfunded on these pensions. And until there's reform done in that area, um, the state's going to continue to have downgrading in, in its credit, and therefore its cost to borrow will go up. And as that happens, it's a, it's a, it's a ripple effect across the whole marketplace. And I, I guess what I'm hoping, I, you know, if I could say what would I love to see next, by next year at this time, I'd love to see our legislators take this issue on in a more uh, meaningful way. They've just been um, kicking it down the road and not making the hard decisions that need to be made in order to get our fiscal house in order. And by example, the state of Illinois is 56% is funded in its pension liability. Wisconsin, right across the state, is 110. Indiana is 90. Uh, we are the second or third worst state in the United States in this question. And we're one of the most important states in the union. So I think that this is a, a very profound issue that I believe will have an impact on our competitiveness. And I think companies will look at that and say, is this where we really want to plant our long-term flag? Thanks. Uh, Steve, you work with national retailers. Is there any perceptions about Illinois or the Chicago area in that regard? Uh, there is a little bit of resistance from some uh, coming in when they face, uh, be it restaurants, be it retailers coming in, uh, building when they can build elsewhere for non-union versus building for union. Uh, most all of them have gotten past that. Uh, be it a concept that starts on the West Coast or East Coast, in order to really be recognized as a national retailer, uh, you need to have a presence in, in Chicago, you need to be in Illinois. So um, for the long term, I think you know, the, the demand will continue. There will always be demand for it. Jim, you had an interesting take on it. Well, um, 
similar to what these gentlemen have just said. If the logistics manager feels the inbound and outbound product needs to be in Chicago, they're going to locate here. It's just it's a no-brainer. The, the wages are not that much higher here. Uh, a lot of the warehouse wages tend to be non-union and that. The taxes are much less than on the office buildings. But so that works well for us. Uh, whether it, the product is made overseas or made here, it's got to be warehouse here. But on the manufacturing side, uh, I mentioned the Nippon Saro deal in, in Rochelle. Uh, I was out there for the groundbreaking because I represent Prologis out in that park. It's not their transaction, but I went out there. And it's Governor Quinn was there. And like it or not, I mean, Governor Quinn says, this is just great for Illinois. We've got this 400,000 square foot plant. It's a $50 million project. Took $12 million of uh, state and federal funds to land it. But he was saying, we really competed and we got this. But the sad story is the only reason Nippon's building there is they got a $560 million contract from Metra to build their next generation rail cars. So if we didn't have that contract, this could have gone probably in a right-to-work state in that. So on the manufacturing side, which it, it really is a high-paying jobs and, and mean a lot to, to Illinois, I, I just don't see a good future for us. Don't. All right. Uh, last question for the group. Uh, lessons learned. What, what do you, what's your takeaway from, from 2010? Bob, why don't you start? <laughs> well, just you got to keep your chin up, I think. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> this, it's tough for everybody. I think everyone said, you know, the last two years have been challenging for all of us. Um, I think as I, uh, my lesson learned is that uh, you, you, the more you know, or the longer you've been at this, the less you really know. I mean, it, there are so many things changing in our, our markets, and uh, you know, so it's key to, uh, to keep up with what are the key drivers in our industry. And uh, I think the, the, the key thing for me, I, I, I think that we live in a great region. I, I don't want to sound too pessimistic about what's going on with our state. I think that's a major issue. But the, the thing I've learned in the last two years is that we're very resilient and we have a great community. We have a lot of tremendous assets in our community, the, the physical environment, the people, uh, the infrastructure that we've built um, that you know, obviously has its challenges, but we've done a lot of great investing. And I think one of the great things in our market is the lake. We have water. And uh, you know, a lot of communities are going to ch be challenged by this issue in the, in the coming decades. So the lessons learned are that we've got to look forward, we've got to find ways to induce industry into our market or create industry in our market. And, and as knowledge workers are going to be sort of what happens in the United States, at least in the northern section of our country, it, it appears, uh, I think Chicago is well positioned. Steve? Um, I agree with uh, what Bob had said, but and we're all kind of uh, pitchmen, spokesmen for Chicago, for Illinois. Uh, and uh, I, I think what you'll, you'll see is things will be a lot of, the clocks are getting reset. There'll be smart building or smarter building going forward, uh, really based on uh, the demand of the retailers, more so than cheap land or available money. Uh, and I think there's gonna be a lot of fortunes made uh, by people who have been sitting on the sidelines uh, waiting for those uh, loans to get reset. And uh, it's gonna be a, a great market for making a lot of money going forward. And, uh Jim, you've already given us your sage advice here, but what's, well, what's your I, lesson I, learned? I would say a little insight would be, you know, leverage is not an asset. And um, I've realized that better in these two years. And if you look at all these houses that are underwater, it's because people felt they had open, you know, line of credit, and they leveraged it. It's not an asset. It's a debt when you're done with it. And I think many of us have come to realize that that's a problem. 
And I would say, secondly, um, you know, money's cheap, but you, you just can't borrow it right now. Great. Any questions from uh, the audience? There's one. Hi there. Uh, in regards to, I've been reading like Bloomberg's and different publications, the green movement in regards to that a company may not invest in a new building, but may invest in a retrofit or investment in a uh, building for some of the green to attract office, uh, industrial, or even uh, some of the things that Walmart's been doing. And with, in regards to green build being in town next week at McCormick, what do you see in each one of your segments the green, whatever that means to you, playing a role in the next five to ten years? Um, Stay in the same Bob. order. Uh, we see a lot of, uh, many of our uh, projects are, are going for LEED certifications that, uh, you know, just LEED or LEED Gold, Silver, Platinum, if they can get there. And I, it's my understanding, actually, as I've gone through this, that it's actually easier in a, in a retrofit, in many respects, to accomplish the mission. Um, I think I, all of the new you know, high-rise buildings that have come up in the last gen two generations are, I think virtually every one of them has a certification of some level in, in the lead um, the lead area. And it, the fact is, it's good business. It's a smart business decision. I mean, most of the uh, points that one obtains in that process are designed around energy efficiency and, and, and around maintaining costs and, and being, uh, being good about how you dispose of your waste products when you're building. So it's, it's just kind of smart business. I think it's going to continue to gain momentum uh, because it makes sense and it's really the right thing to do. And I think most, uh, I think if you look at the workers that are coming into the marketplace today, uh, the millennials and uh, the Gen Xers, you know, the, the environment matters. It does, it does make a difference and people make decisions not about where they're going to go to work because of the environmental, um, conscience of the organization they're with, but it comes into play if, if all things are equal and they say this company has a much more uh, focused initiative in the area of doing the right thing in, in the environmental question, they'll say, I, I want to be there. Uh, same is true with retail, it's just going to snowball uh, much more in the future when there is more new development. Uh, we have not seen it much in the, in the rehab of existing buildings, but uh, especially since so much of our, our development is user-built uh, Walmart, Target, et cetera, they're going to be the most immediate benefactors of having that green building. So there's no question you'll see more and more of it. Um, and even on the, um, uh, the user side, uh, where you'll see more and more people making their decisions uh, to shop at a green retailer or a green restaurant. Uh, it's just going to continue to grow in years to come. A uh, bit different for us on the industrial side, but your question was over the next five to ten years. Right now, we don't see much of a, a demand for it in the bulk warehousing. If you're a builder, uh, Liberty, IDI, Prologis, all of them will build their brand new builder suits or spec buildings to at least be uh, gold standard. Keep in mind on the industrial side, we don't consume in those boxes nearly the kind of energy you folks do in your retail. And we're kind of looking at, at in the end, there's four classifications right now, platinum, gold, silver, and the basic one are being registered. We're, we feel down the road there might be one for retrofitting uh, because you can do things, uh, but you can't make it perfect. So, uh, but as 
over five to ten years as more new buildings come on and they are laid, the, the users can start saying, that's really what I want. But with a billion two hundred thousand square feet of space out there, I don't think one percent is lead right now. So you can't come into the market and say, I've got to have an existing big building. Build a suit, everybody does lead right now, at least on a gold standard, and they should. I think we have time for one more last question. Anyone else out there? Or maybe we've ended it perfectly? Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks very much, and thanks to a great panel. I think it was very informative. <laughs>